top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome yeah. back to Top Bins, the show breaking down all the action from England and Italian soccer. I'm your host, Matt, joined by my co-host, Dom. Dom, how are you doing this fine, rainy Monday evening? Uh, like, like I was saying earlier, I'm very like, meh. I'm good, but I'm meh. You know, the weather's not putting me in good spirits, but... Well, there's plenty to be happy about from the weekend, Dom, because uh, we did we did have the return uh, from the international break of both of the leagues. England obviously having an FA Cup weekend. Spare the Burnley-Wadford game, which frankly didn't matter very much in the end. Uh, but Serie A was back as well, and it's one of the fixtures that I think we all look forward to. Uh, we get a guaranteed two of these every season. However, it is not guaranteed that we get the kind of theatrics and drama and narrative around this one. It's not very common that both teams are fighting for the <laughs> title in the same season <laughs> as this episode is now being titled Rainy Day Daddies. Um, so this this Milan Derby is, is unusual in, in that sense and that usually this is just you don't often get these like rivalry matches with so much on the line. Uh, this is being billed as the most important Milan Derby in the last 10 years, which may be true um, for one team. I, I would say for both of them, really, it was it was crucial. Actually, uh, Milan ended up winning this one. It's it's Inter one, uh, AC Milan two. Dom, from your very biased perspective, uh, give me the rundown of this match. Give you the rundown. All right. Um, I thought that Milan played absolutely terrible in the first half. Um, Inter held all the possession. They they caught Milan on the counter countless times, created tons of chances. Um, Milan really didn't get it going until some vital substitutions were made. I mean, Kessie in that cam role just was not a good idea. Um, I, I could see where Pioli wanted what he wanted to do with making like Benacer and, and, and Tonali kind of be more playmaking, you know, double pivot role instead of being a little more defensive. Um, but as soon as Brahim came in, you could see a big difference. Salamakers was non-existent the entire game. So adding Macias, who who is a threat from the right side, you know, kind of opened up the play a little bit. And, uh, you know, one, once, once those subs were made, it was a completely different game. Milan was a totally better team in the second half. And, uh, you know, Giroud gets those two goals. There's a moment in brilliance with the second goal, too. I, di I didn't realize that until I, I watched the replay of that from a couple different angles, the way he did that body faint to turn onto his strong foot and, and then hit the ball. And you know, it's Giroud-esque. You know, he doesn't take too many touches. You know, just one, two-touch max and, and either passes the ball and finishes. So, you know, uh, 
a little bit of shithousery at the end with Teo Hernandez getting a red card, the time waste. Uh, you know, stupid foul. Stupid. You know, it's foul it's very take. it's it's very stupid. But I mean, every single every single Milan fan on Twitter was like, "We'll take that all day." <laughs> you won't take the suspension though. That's that's um, what's stupid about it. Yeah. Is, is you pick up the suspension, and frankly, I don't think it's any one of those situations where. Yes, Dumfries was certainly getting away from him, but I don't know that there was that much threat. I think you're almost you're almost putting in more threat by giving them a set piece where they can organize. And Inter had been so good on set pieces this year. I, I think it's I I thought that was a very stupid decision, and Teo Hernandez did not have his best game. Uh, he was getting abused by Dumfries. I, I think yeah. there was that was part. I think I'm saving a potential, you know, goal here, and also part. Dumfries has been uh, sunning me all night. I think uh, I think I'm just gonna go in <laughs> at his legs uh, because I, I can't count the number of times that Dumfries was climbing above Teo Hernandez to. Oh, he was killing him. The back post. He was killing him. I mean, the same thing. That's the, that's how the Inter scored their goal, right? Chahanoglu was playing like a like a man possessed against his former team kind of deal. You know, he has that chip on his shoulder, so. You know, he always wants to show up Milan because he didn't leave on the best of terms. And he ended up getting that assist to Perisic, who, like you said, it was a back post cross. Perisic was completely unmarked and he, and he scored the goal. And, and when, when I saw the goal, I was kind of like, oh, here we go. And I see how this game is going to go. Uh, and, and, you know, they were in a struggle against the 3-5-2. But, I mean, really, in that second half, they neutralized that midfield quite well. They 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 – started to spread out that that middle three. Chahanoglu had to get subbed off. They brought in, like, uh, Sanchez. Vecino came in for Brozovic. They really spread. I, I remember seeing Barella closer to the sidelines in, like, a right mid position rather than, you know, in the center where he plays a lot better. And and that opened up a lot of space for for guys like Brahim to work. And 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 when he came in, I mean, you, you saw a different type of player than what – he's been playing it when he was starting games. So, you know, it, it's nice to have those options like starting Kessie and seeing if he, if he plays well, it didn't really work out for him in these, these kind of matchups. And, and I think inter made sure to neutralize him early on. So, you know, it, it it's, it's, it's a, it's a step in the right direction and, and, and something to be optimistic about from the AC Milan standpoint for inter, there can be some questions asked, but you kind of just take it to the chin and move on. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think the first half is is really interesting to look at because Inter should have been two or three up going into halftime, and, and this game is a no contest, and we're talking about Inter cruising to a title potentially, you know. Um, but Manon with some fantastic saves, yes. Uh, yes. played almost like a sweeper center back at times with how quick he was off the line, a little scary at moments. Oh, my breath was held during that man. I couldn't I, believe that. <laughs> I have no and doubt that it was. Not only did he do the slide tackle to, to, to stop the shot, but then he did like a Ronaldo chop, like, yeah. like to try to split the double and, and got fouled. And, and I, I don't know, man, he's crazy. Yeah. He, uh, he had a really, he, he allows Milan to be in a position where they can gain all three points. I did think it was interesting, right? Cause Kessie starts in, you know, really the, the 10 position. And, uh, Pioli talked about that after the game. He said, uh, he, he wanted to limit, uh, Brozovic. So, Really, Kessie's role was just to to chase down Brozovic all game and stop him from being able to affect the game, mm -hmm. uh, which I don't know that was all that effective in the first half. I think yeah. 
you know, it really this game changes when Inter make that that big substitution change uh, late in the game uh, when they're you know they they bring off Lautaro, they bring off Perisic. Um, that's where I felt the game really changed because like, Perisic played fantastic again yeah. uh, as he has a lot this season. So much so that apparently they're they're willing to now to to um, extend a contract with him. Um, but I, I really think that that substitution that that comes then is is where a lot of the trouble comes. I thought uh, I, I I just really felt that you know you you bring on like Vidal and set up Chalanoglu now like it felt very defensive. Um, and Milan were able to just catch uh, like a whiff, and that's really yeah. what it was. It was a whiff. It was two shots for Giroud and two goals. He was barely involved in the game outside of that. Um, this was like a point where I was like, I was starting to like fold laundry in the middle of the game because I was like, you know, what? this is all becoming a little pedestrian. Like, you know, you just you, you still watch the game, but you start to like focus on some other smaller tasks, you know, because it's the weekend, you got other things to do. Um, and then that Giroud goal really like wakens the game up a little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's obviously a, a bit of luck, right? That he just happens to be making the right run and, you know, breaks from the second goal, like you said, is I, I really beautiful. And it's just like classic Giroud. He scored a goal like that against Liverpool a few years ago. Um, and Milan steal this. I, I think it's fair to call it a steal uh, because I, I did think Inter, yeah. on the whole, were, were probably the better team in this. Um, but this is this is about the worst time for a loss like this for Inter. Uh, when you consider they have Napoli coming up and then Liverpool in the Champions League, um, you know you also have a have a tough Coppa Italia matchup. Like this is not the the time of the year where you'd like to be kind of questioning yourself a little bit or have to uh, have to make up some ground. Um, you know, you have Roma in the Copa now, you have Napoli, Liverpool, like that's, that's a, a tough stretch of games to now be, you know, you lose the Derby and, and probably should have won it. Um, I, I have to wonder where the, the momentum is at now for Inter. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they've had some, some not positive runs of play and, and and not just this game and a couple of their past games as well you know and and like you said they they were dealing with a lot of uh workload issues right they were real tired playing a lot of games back and forth and and this was finally a game where they were rested and they're and they're playing a uh a, a milan squad that is still you know without a couple notable players but this is probably the most healthy milan squad we've seen in a long time and and now that they're coming into a pretty tough part of their schedule, this is this is a tough blow to them, you know, moving forward, having to play Juventus, who we're going to talk about, who is looking like a totally different team. And, and you know, they've got to play some of the top teams in the league where, you know, if you, if you have these struggles and you can't work them out, you're, you're going to drop points. Yeah, so I, I thought for, for this game too, Lautaro and Dzeko were – pretty non-effective mm-hmm. uh at least in terms of, of any kind of goal scoring threat i did think lataro like worked the channels well a few times but i i was not impressed with it was really all parasic and dumfries in this game that i thought were were effective going forward and obviously parasic gets the goal off the corner but you know it, it did feel a lot like if a goal was going to come it was coming from one of those two rather than your two front men which i think has to be seen as, as perhaps something to to work at i mean this is the looming question right is now the title race this is this is the narrative that's being uh, being spun out uh, all across any coverage of this. Uh, the table currently is is Inter with a game in hand with 53 points, Napoli at 52, and Milan at 52. That game in hand is going to be crucial, uh, you know, and, and you expect with with the quality of Inter that they'll probably pick up that game. Uh, it's it's unlikely. It's it's hard to imagine them not winning, um, especially when you consider it's you know 
it's it's against Bologna, who have not been particularly great this year, but Bologna have have had a knack of hanging in with tough games, but is is the title race actually back on now? Because it did feel, you know, going into the Christmas break that it was kind of a matter of time for Inter to, you know, we, we wondered if this would be the stretch where they break away. I don't know that we ever really gave it the proper consideration that this could be the stretch where Inter lose the title, perhaps, or, or give up some ground at least. Yeah, the the next like month, month and a half will definitely solidify if there really is going to be a title race or not. Uh, you know, we were just talking about that. But I mean, you know, it, it's not just between two teams. It's not just between the Milan teams. It's also between Napoli, who is actually in second on goal differential. They're tied with Milan on points, but have like six more goals scored or something like that. So, you know, we got to watch out for a couple different teams. Juventus is still kind of behind by more than two games. So, you know, it it all depends on how all three of those teams to see if Juventus could challenge for a top spot as well. But, you know, between the, the top three teams in the league, I definitely think a title race is on. Uh, we have to watch closely for the next few weeks, but, you know, depending on certain, certain games, if they, you know, go a certain way, yeah, we could have something entertaining coming towards the end of the season. Yeah. I, I think there's still lots to, to play for here. And for Milan too, you know, I think it's, it's an important win simply because they've been on the opposite end of some, unluck let's call it right like yes especially in some yes. of the bigger games this season they've, they've had some calls not go their way right uh you know Giroud obviously had that that offsides that was called against him uh which perhaps wasn't totally fair uh, earlier in the season and he was talking a little bit too about the the curse of the number nine at the at Milan and how that that has not been a, a number that is uh Given people a lot of favor, uh, it hasn't been since Inzaghi that anyone has gotten to the double digits uh, in the Serie A for Milan wearing the number nine. I mean, He's also look now. who wore the number nine after there Inzaghi. There were some <laughs> capable strikers in there, though. I, you know, they weren't obviously they're not at Inzaghi's level, right? But there were some capable players still that that went on to have you know Andre Silva, right? Goes on to have like a really strong yeah. <laughs> career now. Uh, Fernando Torres was not totally dusted yet. Uh, he he. he you know, I'm not expecting him to hit 20, but to the fact that he doesn't hit 10 is, yeah. you know. I mean, look, been, at the, look at the service he was getting. Look at the midfield on that team. I mean, the, yeah. all you really had was Bonaventura, basically, and maybe El Shirawi on the re on the left, but he had Suso. <laughs> I remember once upon a time when he said Suso was AC Milan's best player. I he, was. he was. He <laughs> was. That's an indictment on that era of Milan, I, isn't it? I will still live by that. He, he was. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week. And it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, so I, I, I am curious, like you said, to see how the rest of this, this season shapes up. And yeah, I, I know I already said it, but Inter have, have Roma in the Coppa Italia and then Napoli at this weekend, which is huge because, again, it's just two big title challenges for them. And then Liverpool in the Champions League next week. So we're yeah, going to find a lot out about this Inter team. And they really haven't been the same team, I thought, since the Supercopa. Um, I thought that some of it, yeah, was just fatigue. But I've not been like totally convinced by by too many other performances since then, and it's been a month. And obviously, there's a break now, and you know all this could go away if they beat Roma and Napoli at the weekend, and even beat Liverpool in the Champions League next week. You know, none of this conversation matters anymore after mm-hmm. that. Let's get to the other game that we're gonna uh, highlight in in Syria this weekend. Juventus 2, Hellas Verona 0. The main reason you know, we want to talk about this is because obviously Juventus were one of the most active clubs in the transfer market. Uh, they go get Dusan Vlahovic, scores on his debut. They get Denny Sicaria, who scores on his debut. Um, hey, listen, it's a dream to score on your debut, of course, but uh, it, it hurts for everyone else, especially when you used to love Vlahovic so much and see him, one of his trademark, just like engine runs into the into the final third beautiful lofted goal it was a great goal i have to say um i thought dabala played great in this game which is just has to be driving a stake through the heart of the the inter front office because they refuse of course to to alter their contract uh extension towards him uh he has he's responded by playing i think some of his best football (laughs) that he's played um in the last few seasons and juventus please you know don't look now, but uh, it's... <laughs> it looked like a totally different team. They are one of the dead body teams, as I like to call them. Them and, and Real Madrid in the Champions League. I need to physically see them in a coffin with their arms crossed, their organs ripped out of them, and their blood embalmed before I believe that they are actually dead. That Juventus team looked like an Allegri team. Like You have not just a big, but also a very technical and, and pacey striker, right? Something that Allegri loves to have especially when you, you have guys coming down the wings to give him service. Uh, you have a, a, a big, strong midfielder that can, that can go both ways. You have a playmaker, and then you have somebody who kind of does the dirty work. And, and uh, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of, of when he won the, won the title with Milan uh, in 2011. You've got a lot of the same type of personnel. I mean, maybe Alvaro Morado on the wing is a little, you know, unconventional. But, you know, he can obviously provide good service. We've seen Murata do that with crossing before. And, and having Dybala on the wing and that kind of creativity opens up a lot. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a thing of dreams to, 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 if you're a fan of Juventus, to see both of your signing score goals as well on their debuts. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And against a team like Verona that isn't the best, but again, one team that, that constantly is a thorn in the side of, of, of bigger opponents when they play. So it's not, it's not something to kind of just scoff at and be like, Hey, you know, it, this is Verona they're playing of course, but like, you know, the, the Vlahovic had many chances right from the beginning of the game, you know, and, and it was, he looked right at home at Juventus and that's scary. Yeah, he, he picked the number seven shirt as well, which obviously comes charged with a lot of uh, a lot of recent history, of course, with Ronaldo. But uh, he did not look out of place at all, which is a worry. Um, if you now the title talk and even um, even Allegri, you know, was coy about the title talk because obviously people are going to ask those questions. I do think they're they're too far off the pace for that to be a real consideration. But if you're talking about Champions League next season. Uh, I, I would be a little worried if I was Atalanta or Lazio 
uh, you know, who are trying to break into that spot and not telling they're trying to hang on to that Champions League spot. Um, because if this is if this is the the type of performance we're going to get from Juventus, that's a worry. Defensively, mm-hmm. they've been very good this season. It's it's been you know very much like a, an Allegri team that we're used to seeing. It had been that creative edge, that goal scoring that we hadn't seen from them. Um, if if this is the kind of thing we're going to get, if Vlahovic is 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 going to continue this form uh, like he's already shown that he can he can do, that is. Uh, I'm worried about that. Yes, <laughs> I'll just be yes, honest. Yes, I mean it's it, it is, and 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 not to take away from Vlaovic and everything that he brings to Juventus because I mean the man is a gifted goal scorer and you can tell like it's not just the fact that he was the the centerpiece of Fiorentina. You can see that at Juventus he stands out just as much. Um, Zakaria is a beast of a midfielder, an yeah. absolute beast of a midfielder, box to box kind of guy. Can score for you, can defend for you, can pass the ball. And and if he if he starts performing like this on a consistent basis, yeah, Juventus is going to be a big big threat for that Champions League spot. Yeah, this is a rosy start for them. Uh, obviously, there's going to be bigger challenges along the way, uh, but you know it's it's as good of a start as you can get, honestly, um, for for Juventus and for their new two players. I did. I just want to mention, obviously, because Juventus moving to fourth with this win. Atlanta lost to Cagliari uh, and uh, dropped out of that spot. They still have a, go- a game in hand, so you know it's it's not inconceivable that Atlanta could still be back I- into fourth position. But um, you know, we we had kind of teased that we we felt that the top four it was going to be a little hard to see anyone drop out. Obviously, that was before Juventus make a lot of the the transfer decisions that they have. I didn't really personally see them getting Vlahovic uh, in the January window, which they obviously end up doing. Um, and that does change the calculus a little bit for me. It, it does change how I feel about this Juventus team, uh, especially when you, you watch them play at the weekend. Um, and the fact that Atalanta have not been able to stay healthy. Uh, they've had these kind of uninspiring performances a lot this season. And, you know, they, they've not been able to have their, their first choice 11 out there uh, enough in the last few months to, to really make you consider that, yeah, you know, they're, they're going to have the sustained performance. I won't count them out, of course, but the top four race, I think, is a lot more interesting than, than maybe we had uh, previously given credit or thought for. Yeah, agreed. Let's, uh, let's move on to England. It was an FA Cup weekend, so we'll just give you some of the, the results and our thoughts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man United lost on penalties Friday night uh, to Middlesbrough. Uh, this was uh, I, very you know, controversial. Yeah, controversial, of course, because Middle, Middlesbrough score on what was obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a handball situation. I, I don't, I don't really know how that goal stands. If I'm being honest, uh, he, he very obviously controls the ball with his hand and, and plays the ball through, and, and Middlesbrough score, but. They, they, they went on penalties. Uh, Ronaldo missed the penalty, which is a rarity. Uh, he, he's he's usually just right on it from the spot. Uh, wasn't able to, to put it home, but yeah. Cracks in the armor, shall we say. Um, and damn, this this sucks because, I you know, if, if you're a United fan, because you had the chances in this game too. You, you certainly can't say that this was one that, uh, you know, you were outplayed in really. I, I don't think, I thought United were, were the better team in this. Uh, when Bruno Fernandez is missing open nets, I think that's when you just know that it's, it's not your night. And that yep. was, uh, that was the way this one went. Um, Nottingham Forest beat Leicester city, uh, four to one Leicester city, just pressing the self-destruct button yet again. Uh, defensively this season, they've just had these issues constantly, individual errors as well. And Brendan Rodgers is, for me, on the hot seat. Um, I can speak personally as a Liverpool fan that I know that Brendan Rodgers is a bit of a fraud. 
And I don't use that word lightly because it's become like, it's become so common in like football Twitter nomenclature that it's like, it's kind of lost its meaning. But Brendan Rodgers is truly like one of those roadside magicians in that you like at first glance, you get convinced by the mirage of, of the trick and think, wow, that's impressive. And then you see that it's all just like based on like, not so intricate string work and sleight of hand and you're like all right this is not impressive anymore and he's not adapting at all mm -hmm. uh, these are the same things that happened at liverpool where he's he is a great manager to have when a momentum is going your way because he seems to be charismatic uh and he's good at uh understanding and making an offense work um but we've seen in the past that defensively he struggles to to put the team in his defense, they've had tons of injuries this year. Uh, they've not they've been real snake bit and have not been able to get just a consistent eleven out. Especially the, you know the back four has been a struggle a lot this season. Guys have been in and out of the lineup. There 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 is that that baked in excuse, but Leicester are not in the position where you know they should be and where I think they want to be. And I think Brendan Rodgers deserves some of the blame for that. When you lose four one to a championship team, and it's not like Leicester were rotated squad here you know that team would not look out of place at all that they started on sunday in the premier league in fact they've started that team in the premier league already before this season um that's a worry for me yeah they're woeful defensively right now it's it's and like you said it, it that's typical of a rogers led team Everton beat Brentford for the first Frank Lampard win. Uh, the the Lamps era begins with a, a, a strong win over the mighty Brentford. Um, <laughs> now it, it was it was good to see because Everton. This is you know let's be real they they have quality players and you know we know that that their position in the table is not quite where where they actually are in, in, in but. It's a lot of work still to be done, but this is, I, I think, a great start for them. I think really cleanses the spirit and soul for a lot of Everton fans. Of just like, you saw some goals scored, you actually got to see some action, and you know this is hopefully for them, you know, a sign of things to come going forward. Um, Chelsea and West Ham both nearly, nearly get get cup set. Um, Chelsea just getting past Plymouth, and West Ham needed two extra time winners against Kidderminster to to move on. Um, I thought that was fascinating. Both the London clubs uh, really struggling in that one to to actually go through. Uh, that's the that's the magic of the FA Cup, though, right? Like you 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 always expect the big club to win, and and sometimes on the right day, you know, just like you saw against United, like you'll have these lower league teams come out with a win, and it's huge. Yeah, uh, Kidderminster are not even in the. Uh, they're like a, a conference team, so they are like. <laughs> if you if apparently this was a they're strange like low, story. Low, low, this was low. a strange story. Uh, Declan Rice apparently showered with the Kidderminster players because the away team didn't have. Uh, they didn't have like the facilities, uh, so he. <laughs> the manager said it was such a weird statement. He said all the guys yeah, on that team have other jobs. It, Declan Rice uh, showered with the boys and gave them some good lessons and everyone really enjoyed it. Like it was like such a weird, weird sentence. Um, I'm trying to imagine a situation where like, I don't know, the opposition player comes into your locker room and is like showering with you and like chatting it up afterwards. It's just, I don't know. It's a little bit strange for me. I mean, I mean, um, for those, for those types of guys, like you're saying they're, they're a conference team. Like these guys aren't professional footballers they all have other jobs probably so it's probably just cool to have that happen you're talking about a guy that you probably watch on tv <laughs>
to get the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at get in the whole pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content, keeping you up to date on the world of golf, releasing weekly a part of the underground sports, Philadelphia family of podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. He is an England international. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, but it's just, I don't know. I, it's like, yes, he just, yes, their team just kicked you out of the, the FA Cup, but you gave them one hell of a game. And, and like, true. you know, he comes in, he's like, hey, you know, you guys you make a couple things, you know, you never know. You guys could, but he's also doing this me. naked while showering with you. I mean, I, that's, that's the part here that I think we're really glossing over <laughs> is that Declan Rice is naked, like patting them on the back. Like, it's all right. Don't worry. I'm going to go back to London now, <laughs> but you all did great. I just think it's weird. I think it's so weird. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> let's look at the fifth round of the FA Cup because we've got some good draws in here. Crystal Palace play Stoke City. Uh, Peterborough play Manchester City. Middlesbrough take on Tottenham. Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield. Luton Town against Chelsea. Liverpool, Norwich City. Everton play Boreham Wood, who uh, upset Bournemouth. And Southampton against West Ham. Uh, looking forward to those. The FA Cup, you know, this time of year starts to really starts to really challenge and, and heat up. There's already, you know, some of the big clubs are, are out of it, of course, but then there's still some usual suspects in there like Manchester City who have absolutely dominated a lot of the des- domestic competitions in England would be looking to win another FA well, Cup. They deal, they deal with no type of competition until they get to, like, the semifinals and actually have to play another Premier League team. They always seem to have it, like, easy – Move it, moving in, moving up the bracket most of the time. So you said that, not me. That's all I'm going to say. Listen, who, who, are they, who are they no, playing? Luton Town? Peterborough. Who? They do have a tendency to get some pretty easy draws. I, yeah. I think that's, I think it's fair to say. And all of it is luck, technically, but you know what? It just seems to happen that. Manchester City get very lucky domestic yeah. cup draws. That's it. Pep Guardiola and one of the and, and the deepest squad in England can rotate and play their D team against a team like this and still win five nil and and just move on. You know, and, and that's just that's just what happens every I'm single year. Just saying that you're saying these things and I am not. So listen, I, maybe that's a jinx. You know, I I could care less. I'm not a city fan. You're not a city fan. So I'm just <laughs> saying you're saying these things and I'm not. I'm not being the biased fan here. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh let's move on to the AFCON final where I was a biased fan, except I was unbiased in that I wanted both teams to win. So I don't know what you call that. Uh I think they call it a can't win situation because it's like choosing between your your two children, uh who you want to see succeed more. Um you're gonna see one cry and one filled with joy. Yeah, that was that was the tough thing. Uh, Senegal, of course, win on penalties. Um, I have to say, a lot of the major finals of the last few years have just kind of disappointed a little bit, uh, and we should start to expect this. I think sometimes with with these is that don't expect lots of goals and some super engaging match when it's a, a cup final because typically it's not <laughs> both teams just don't want to lose and they play a lot more defensive although i did think senegal in the first especially 20 minutes of this game were really good really good really strong going forward Sadio Mane, of course has a, a chance seven minutes in with a, a chance for a penalty which is saved um yeah, I think that the, the the story of this game for me is that Egypt looked absolutely exhausted, which is not 
shocking considering how many uh, extra time games they've had to play. They've had to play <laughs> four 120 minute games leading <laughs> like that's I, that's kind of unsustainable. It seems, you know, uh, Muhammad Salah at the end of that could barely press anymore. He couldn't make runs and, and all of Egypt looked just absolutely tired. Um, it's, I, I think this is more a criticism of Egypt in, in a way in that I don't think they set up very well for this tournament. I think they set up way too defensively. And I think there's a, a habit sometimes with, with international teams where they have one talismanic player to depend a lot on them to just work it out. And that had, that had worked a little bit for Egypt through this tournament. Uh, Salah was able to create some moments and create some goals and help them advance through. Not like it was just Salah, of course, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I thought they were shaped up defensively way too often in this tournament and just rode their luck a lot. And it finally ran out. And I, I think Senegal were the better team in, in this situation. Um, I thought that they were the most balanced uh, yeah, team left in the tournament. Uh, they're one of the, the African teams that I, I consider, you know, to be uh, the best. And, and I, I think this tournament shows that. And I think this is great for them going into, you know, a World Cup year now yeah. uh, where we were really high on them for the 2018 World Cup. Thought they could uh, go far. Obviously, don't even make out of the group, unfortunately. But this is this is a, a good momentum swing for Senegal getting the first AFCON trophy. Uh, Sadio Mane was was clearly like, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the penalty shootout and how just stressed out he was. He was pacing like, like i mean just he was not even with his own teammates he was like pacing down the opposite sideline just up and down like just waiting for his moment and i was uh personally ecstatic that he finished it as well as he mm -hmm. did i mean first off senegal is is a very complete squad they have very good players in in all levels of the of, of the pitch and i mean on top of that they have a world-class goalkeeper and that's not to take anything away from Egypt's goalkeeper, who was their man of the match. He played absolutely incredible. And, and it wasn't just in this game during AFCON. But, I mean, when you've got, you know, a center-back pairing of Diallo and Koulibaly in front of Mendy, and, and you know, you've got guys like Mane, you've got Idrissa Gay, you've got Saar coming off the bench. I mean, you've got a lot of quality on that team. And, I mean, all credit to Cissé. You know, the Senegal you know, Football Association being able to stick with him for eight years and he finally gets the team that he, he wants and, 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 you know, has the players that he, he wants to use. And he finally finds that success with their first international trophy. I mean, all credit to them. And, and like you said, when you have a very complete team coming against a team that isn't the most deep, doesn't have quality completely around, they kind of rely on one or two players and they played four straight 120 minute games. Yeah, it, it, the cards were stacked against them from, from the beginning. Um, you know, credit to Senegal. Um, and it's going to be, real, like you said, real excited to watch them in the World Cup. We all know the traditional big four sports, and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey? Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Yeah, I, I thought Senegal were just fantastic. I, I really did, and, and I'm really happy they won. Uh, obviously a team that, that has tons of talent and uh, 
you know, they, they've obviously, they, they lost the final against Algeria a few years ago, and that was, that's obviously tough to take, but yeah, it's a great redemption story. They win the first trophy. That's fantastic. Uh, this was this was really cool as well. In 2002, Alucise, uh he missed the decisive penalty of the African Cup of Nations, gifting the trophy to Cameroon. 20 years later, uh, in Yonde, the capital city of Cameroon, Aliou guided his nation to their first ever AFCON title as manager. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it's I, I just think fantastic. I also think it's it's great for African football as well because she says obviously an African coach. You've seen a lot of these these coaches of these teams are from other places like Egypt's manager. And, mm-hmm. uh, maybe just put some faith in that. You know, if you if you stick with guys that that know the country and know the players and can can grow and develop as managers, that's what you need, right? Those those types of stories um, because there are certainly more CSAs out there. That can uh, that can make it as managers and and win the big trophy. And he's given a lot of time, a lot of patience, and it's paid off now. Yeah, uh, a comment uh, from my boy, my boy Trevor says, uh, "Speak on the black magic that the Egyptian keeper was clearly using. They wanted to win the tourney with only four goals. Never, never, ever." Yeah, well, so I don't know if you saw that his his water bottle had uh, printed out. He they kept cutting to him looking at it, and then he left it after the game, and it had all the printouts of all the players and like exact locations that they shot. Um, yeah, he was oh, fantastic he at saving penalties. I don't know if you saw too when uh, when Sadio Mane stepped up to take his penalty in the game, not in the shootout. Uh, Salah went over to the keeper and whispered in his ear. And uh, you know, kind of pointed direction that Mane usually goes, and Mane pointed the opposite direction. Uh, didn't end up putting it that way at all, but uh, and had it saved. But I thought that was uh, that was. It's always funny when you Some see like snitching. <laughs> when you see like club teammates playing at the international level, and like they just they know how to get under the other person's skin a little bit. I always think it's even better when it's like a club goalie versus a, a club player because like you know how many times they've probably practiced that or, or they just know yeah. their tendency. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's that's always a. Uh, that's always a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, this man Trevor is full of jokes. He said, "That's why Salah will never have the streets." Steady snitching. <laughs> you know, I don't get the weird Salah hate that came out of this tournament. I don't get I, like Abubakar's comments. Like everyone was like, "Really?" I I, I don't get it. I don't get why people uh, dislike Salah so much. I, I'm not sure. I, I think it's just but... because of how successful he's been lately. Yeah, it is and, a bit and, strange. You know. Um, you know, the only the only other way that could be more poetic for Cisse to to guide Senegal to this trophy was if he played Cameroon in the final. Yeah. If Senegal played Cameroon in the final and then they won, that would have been so poetic and, and just a storybook ending. But you know, they ended up playing, you know, Liverpool player versus Liverpool player, got the job done. I mean, Mendy's a wonderful keeper too. Yeah. Mendy's a, Mendy's a great keeper, and and Koulibaly is just world class. Still one of the top three center backs in, in the world, in my opinion. So, you know, it's sad day for, for other Serie A fans because he's now coming back to the league. But uh... that's, that's a big thing to note too, is this Napoli, of course, get, uh, get Koulibaly back. Um, that's obviously a big boon for them and their title hopes for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, and obviously a lot of these other, you know, now uh, players will be returning Senegal though players. There's some delay because the uh, president declared um like a, a national day of celebration um and the, the 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 whole country is kind of just taking today to to enjoy it and i don't know if the senegal players will actually be able to make it home until wednesday even um because apparently they're also going to the the uh, palace tomorrow to meet with the president and uh, you know have fun and they should listen you don't get to win continental trophies very often um and, and being that it's their first 
I, I, I think they deserve every right to enjoy it. But, you know, I'm fine with Sadio Mane not returning to, to Burnley next week. I think he's he's earned he's earned the rest. He's earned the break. He's earned the celebration. Um, I just wanted to write down this piece of news as well. Dan Ashworth has left Brighton. Uh, he was their technical director. This was a story that developed, like, when the Newcastle takeover happened uh, because, obviously, Brighton have done very well in the last few seasons in the Premier League. Um, they've bought well. They've developed well. Uh, they've obviously hired Grant Potter, who's a fantastic manager and, and is, is, you know, is constantly touted now as, like, the next guy right for any of these, these big jobs. Um, Dan Ashworth plays a big role in that. Uh, he's left Brighton and his team's... It's not confirmed, of course, but seems very likely he's headed to Newcastle. So these are the types of moves that maybe as a fan, we don't always appreciate. But there is this whole other side, uh, technical side to the game and business side of the game that matters uh, when you have smart people making decisions. You see it in some of these these other teams, these other clubs that maybe don't have uh, the, the right people in the right positions and they're sort of aimless for a few years until they figure it out. Um, if Newcastle are able to get Dan Ashworth, I think that's that's a big signing for them and could be big for their future because this is he's, by all accounts, one of the best in the business. Especially with the money that they have, the war chest that they're waiting to unleash upon England. Well, one uh, of his... Uh, one of his they appeals, can use that money correctly. You know, one of his they, appeals is that you know, under Brighton, he obviously didn't have the type of money that he's able to get the good value signings and that he's yeah. able to to find moves on the margins, which are, you know, where you're going to, you know, I think obviously I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm going to sound biased here, but I think Liverpool have, have done very well in the transfer market over the years. But if you look, they haven't made huge money signings. Uh, you know, like they've, they've identified value in players that they've been able to develop within their own system and being able to save yourself that money uh, and focus on retaining those players, especially for Newcastle as they try and mm. grow, um, is going to be huge. So that's, yeah, it gives, uh, it, it, he has more wiggle room to do to do that, and and could potentially go for maybe more higher touted players, right? That that have that kind of potential because they're going to request a little bit more money than what you would have to work with at like a Brighton. But the but that that's that's really good because yeah, you're not going to go just splash hella money like like all the memes you see, you know. They're going to sign Mbappe, Haaland, Varane, you know, Sergio Ramos, all that kind of stuff. And, and here we go. They're going to run the they're going to run the country. It's like you said, you sign these guys that, you know, you can develop within your system and focus on keeping them. And that's how you build a culture. And then once you have some more money from investments and, and you know, you're, you're becoming a little bit of, you're a little bit successful, big money splash, because, I mean, I, you know, I know all too well about how money can be mismanaged and what that does to a team for an entire decade. So, <laughs> right. uh, you know, hopefully, you know, that would be good for Newcastle if they're, if they are able to do that. So, uh, Premier League is back tomorrow, February 8th or today, if you're listening to this or yesterday, if you're listening to this the day after, um, a lot of games coming up, you know, obviously, and, uh, you know, this is this is where you start to get really into the heat of the season where, you know, the narratives start to, to, to really form. You have the, the Copa to look forward to in Serie A this, uh, uh, coming up too, which is obviously a lot of fun. Um, Yawn. <laughs> I, you should not get ahead of yourself, Dom, because uh, I... I I'd, I'd I'd hate for something to go wrong uh, for for Milan in in their Copa Italia game because you're you're certain taking the Mickey here I, I'd have to say. Oh wait, I forgot that Milan is actually still in the Copa. We beat we beat. You've, you've got Lazio who <laughs> yeah, we... just had a really strong performance against Fiorentina, Chiro Mobile back at the the top scorer table. Um, 
we have Inter Milan Roma tomorrow, Milan Lazio on the 9th, Atalanta and Fiorentina, and Juventus Sassuolo to look forward to. Um, there's some big games in there that I'm looking yeah. forward to watching. Uh, you also have Napoli Inter Milan, which we, we talked about this weekend, which is the certainly the match of the weekend, I think, across all of it. But uh, Atalanta Juventus as well, another huge, huge matchup. That's a big one. Um, that's, that's a big one. Could really set the tone for the rest of the season uh, for that top four race, Dom. Before we get out of here, you got anything to say? Uh, not, not that I can think of, man. I mean, you know, everybody just enjoy your week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Seriously, thank you for everybody that, you know, continues to support the pod. Um, whether it's watching it on stream, listening to it, wherever you get your podcast, we really do appreciate it. Um, and this, we're recording this on the birthday of our podcast network, Underground Sports Philadelphia, Matt, me, Kyle, who's behind the boards right now, uh, and Dylan. We we started this, you know, four years ago to the day. And, uh, you know, to see the growth that we've had has been absolutely incredible. And to be able to bring back one of our first spinoff podcasts and, and, and continue to do it at, at the way that we've done it and, and be successful at doing it. And there, we can only go up and we can't be more thankful for everybody that's that's joined the ride with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the games this week. I hope that you get good, not rainy slash snowy weather. We're almost we're almost out of it, folks. We're almost out of winter. So close. The the at least the sunny times. Maybe not warm just yet, but at least like we're you're almost we're almost halfway through February, and then you're in March where you can at least tell yourself that it's going to be nicer, even though it, it marches. You just gotta worse. you just gotta deal with the wind. March is one of the worst weather months that no one ever wants to talk about. But that's that's for another time, for another show. Uh, until then, we'll talk to you next time.